The economics of smaller budget movies are breaking down. We discuss how it is a problem of the studio's own making and why taking theatre releases direct to SVOD is exacerbating the situation. Listen on to find out more. This week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and of course, that was Colin Dixon from End Screen Media at the beginning there. Hey, Colin, how's everything? I'm doing very well and recovering from no Olympics, uh, no, no, <laughs> no sports clips. <laughs> so uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself now, but I'm sure I'll figure it out. So rate those Olympics, Colin, 1 to 10, most enjoyable to least enjoyable. Where do you put them? Never mind yeah. what other people watched or anything else. How'd you enjoy them? Yeah, about 6 or 7, I think. That's not bad. Yeah. I was surprisingly unaffected by the stadium being empty. I still got really into the races um, and really enjoyed the events a lot. So, uh, yeah, the, the empty stadiums I didn't, I didn't find detracted that much from the Olympics at all. Yeah, I didn't watch a whole ton of it, as listeners know. I'm not a huge fan, but you had a good piece this week on your site about Olympic streaming time up 60%, but did the audience increase? You had a couple of other really good pieces, I thought, also, Colin, about uh, three reasons why Amazon is Roku's biggest threat, and then also you had a piece, short theatrical windows will accelerate decline in movie sales, and that is actually related to what our main topic is today, which we'll get to in a moment. But I think first we want to do our two quick stories, things that caught our attention this week. And in that respect, I believe I am going to get us started. And what hit my radar was Fubo TV reporting very, very strong second quarter results, way better than what Wall Street was expecting. They added 91,000 subscribers in the quarter. Wall Street was expecting just 12,000 subscriber additions. Uh, Fubo is now up to 682,000 total subscribers. And, you know, Fubo has been sort of the little guy compared to the YouTube TVs and the Hulu with lives, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and of course, they launched with a positioning focused on sports, which is a minefield, as we both know, <laughs> to be so yep. focused on sports. But they seem like they're making it happen, Colin. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what the story is there, but it seems like they're making it happen. Don't you agree? Yep, yep. Solid growth. I think they've been growing pretty solidly now for quite some time. Um, they're also throwing into the mix here betting, which they're, they're launching yep. a sports, sports book at the end of the year. Um, they'll be rolling that into the experience. I don't know how that will look. They also said that they would have some free betting, so it wouldn't just be, you know, it would just be you have to bet with real money. You can you can have some fun and, and uh, do some free betting there. So we'll have to see how that impacts them. But, yeah, they've done a fantastic job in managing that service and just managing it through growth and, and keeping, keeping moving forward. So, uh, yeah, very impressive, very impressive numbers. Credit where credit is due. All right, what's on, what was on your radar? What did you catch? Well, um, this is a deal that was announced quite a while ago, which is Sony trying to buy or buying Crunchyroll. And, of course, Sony has Funimation, which is their, their anime service. Uh, and that, actually, that deal actually closed this week. Uh, $1.175 billion deal closed on Monday. 
And this is AT&T once again getting rid of another one of its uh, entertainment properties because, of course, that was uh, they owned Crunchyroll. And I think, you know, I'm really excited about this deal, actually, Will, because I think Crunchyroll is a super service. Always have. I think they've done a... They're, they're, the wonderful thing about Crunchyroll is they've stayed very, very close to the community and they've really become a focus, I think, of the community. And... Interestingly, the person that runs Funimation is Colin Decker, and Colin Decker used to also run Crunchyroll. Joanne Voger, who currently runs Crunchyroll, very smart lady, I've interviewed her a couple of times, and I just think this is going to be great for anime fans. I think many anime fans have probably subscribed to both services, so there may be some efficiencies there that they'll get from the combination. But that said, I think this gives uh, Crunchyroll much more room to run on its goal of really cementing its place inside of the anime community. They have a very good fandom events. They're creating a lot of content. They're also creating games now. Um, I think this is just a great deal and really exciting for the anime community. Yeah, I'm not a huge, I shouldn't say I'm a fan at all of anime, huge, small, or otherwise, but I completely hear you. Those are two sites that have done really well, super, super, super serving their audiences, as you said, and looks like they're doing the right thing by coming together, and they have some very smart people behind them, which is always a good thing to have, too. Yeah, they certainly are. So uh, so that's great. Um, and, and, you know, the wonderful thing about anime, uh, the thing I love that Crunchyroll has been doing is they've really been expanding the definition of what anime is. So they're beginning to encompass lots of other types of genre like horror and, and science fiction and stuff like that are getting wrapped up now in, in the anime banner. And it's just a very rich uh, area, I think. So we'll see lots of growth there from the combined companies. Uh, but... I think we should move on, Will, because you had a really great deep piece on your site, uh, which was, I think, inspired by some things said by Matt Damon and which uh, both you and I really agree with. Why don't you tell us what Matt Damon had to say about his Hollywood 101 class? (laughs) Well, I'm going to do that. But first, I have to give listeners the banner headline, which is, I went to a movie theater last weekend. (laughs) Imagine that. Alert the media. I went to a movie theater. I actually found something to watch with my wife. And we went to a theater and we watched Stillwater, the new Matt Damon movie, which I believe is superb. Slightly long. A little bit of flaws here and there. But overall, superb movie that I think is probably going to win eight to ten Oscars, as I said to my wife. I just don't know if Hollywood can come up with anything better than Stillwater in this day and time. I I think this is peak Hollywood for where we are today. And that's not to sneeze at Stillwater at all, because I think Stillwater is a very good movie. Very interesting story, very well told, loosely based, of course, on the Amanda Knox story. Um, And they take a whole bunch of liberties with that. But that's fine. This is Hollywood. And Matt Damon himself is just transformed. I mean, he is so fantastic as a roughneck and... Uh, I think depicts very authentically, you know, what a roughneck uh, would be like who's then thrown into a completely foreign situation. So anyway, Stillwater is awesome. And 
of course, Matt Damon's been doing a lot of support in the media for Stillwater. And there was a big New York Times, excuse me, spread on him in the New York Times Magazine a couple of weeks ago. And then Matt Damon did something which my 19-year-old son, I have to give him a hat tip here, pointed out to me. Otherwise, I would not have known about it, which is that he appeared in an interview on this thing called First We Feast Hot Ones. You ever watch that, Colin? I have never. I don't even know what it is. I've never heard of it. All right. Well, climb out of the tar pit. I already did because you got to get with it. All right. You get with it or you get left behind. I guess. This is a a really clever format where these two guys came up with this idea where they would reinvent the celebrity interview because while they were doing the celebrity interview, the interviewer, Sean Evans, and the, the celeb, would be eating one progressively hotter wing after another, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So not only is the celebrity uncomfortable as all anything, sweating and, you know, downing jugs of ice water and wiping down their face and everything else, totally breaking their well-groomed, perfect image facade, uh, but the other thing that happens is as the hot wings make their tongues numb and do something chemically to their brain, they become less inhibited. So the answers that they start giving become ever more, ever funnier, ever more candid, ever more things that they were have always been told, do not say this in public. But now they're all, you know, a Twitter because of the <laughs> effect of the, of the hot wings. It's really very clever. And my son says that the Matt Damon interview is not even one of the top five, although he said it's very good. He said the one that you have to watch is the Gordon Ramsay interview, which apparently, I haven't looked at it, but my son says the Gordon Ramsay interview on Hot Ones has over 100 million views on YouTube, over 100 million. So I haven't had time to check that one out yet, but that's fun. Anyway, that's all a side digression because... The main point here is that what Damon said on Hot Ones and what Damon said in the New York Times Magazine article were very much consistent with one another and basically making the point strongly that Hollywood no longer makes the kinds of movies at the budget range that he calls his, quote, bread and butter. And that's like a 30 to $70 million movie. And, and Damon explains the economics. He said he was making a movie some time ago, one I'd never heard of called Behind the Candelabra. And he said he talked to a studio executive, and studio executive said, look, I'm going to spend $25 million making this movie. I'm going to spend another $25 million marketing and promoting this movie. Then it's going to go to the theater. I'm going to get half the box office take. So the movie, in other words, needs to generate $100 million at the box office before the first dollar of profitability is seen. And Matt Damon's point is, you know, that is a risky and increasingly riskier proposition in this day and age. And as a result, studios have realized that and have said, you know, why the hell do we need to take that kind of risk telling small love, excuse me, telling small love stories or whatever when we could just go about and make superhero movies and make animated movies and make you know action movies, CGI, et cetera, special effects. And so that has been happening. And alongside that, what happened is that Hollywood got hooked on the DVD 
home video window, which made every movie hugely profitable. Uh, but then the internet came along and completely disrupted that model. Netflix started SVOD, Amazon, everybody else SVOD. So who needs to buy when you can rent? That goes back to a topic I think we talked about last week. And the net of it is that Hollywood is now in this, I mean, I don't think it's an exaggeration to call it a death spiral. They basically have superheroes, animation, and action. And virtually everything else is is out the door. And even a movie like Stillwater, Stillwater reportedly cost about $20 million to make. And when I checked it the other day in its first 10 days of run, had made just under $10 million at the box office. So maybe it'll make another five. So Stillwater generates $15 million in box office. The studio gets half of that, Focus Features, Universal. So they get seven and a half. But it cost them at least 20 in production, plus at least another, I mean, it wasn't promoted so heavily, but maybe another $5 million or $10 million. So they've spent, call it 25 or 30 They generated seven and a half. That's upside down. I mean, that's looking more and more like a Matt Damon vanity project, for God's sake, even though it's a great movie. Uh, But it really goes to show what the economics have become. Anyway, the net of all that is that he gives a great, great Hollywood 101 class. Anybody who's trying to understand what is going on in Hollywood, why is it that when you sit down on a Friday night in your house and you turn on your TV, you can't seem to find a movie that you want to watch, Matt Damon basically gives that answer. It gives those answers. And, you know, I've been a Matt Damon fan for a long time. I think he's made some very, very good movies. I also think he's a decent guy. He's a family guy. He's been married to the same woman. He doesn't run around. He's from Boston, of course. That is, makes him, gives him a big check mark in my column, too. And I just, I found myself giving the guy even more respect for being about as candid as he could be in these supporting interviews for Stillwater about what's wrong with the industry. Yeah, and I think we've, this, has a, this is a topic that's come up before on the podcast well. And in my mind, Hollywood has really seeded those movies to SVOD. Um, now, the smaller movies, those movies that Matt Damon calls his bread and butter, they're really made by companies like Netflix now. They, they do not go to theaters. And it's kind of sad. And I've got to say, um, I think I mentioned last week that there will be new DEG numbers this week on the performance of the digital entertainment industry. And there has, in fact, been that those numbers did come in. And I had your piece very much in mind when I looked at these numbers, Will. And you, boy, you can sure see the evidence right there in, in the data. Let me, let me, I'll just review a little bit what, what I found there. So the, the most um, interesting, I think, was that the enormous bump that we put into home entertainment spending in Q2 2020 has stuck around for Q2 2021. We spent seven, almost $8 billion in Q2 2020, and we spent just about the same in Q2 2021, and that's, that's up a billion from 2019 and the same quarter in 2019 and even more from 2018. So it's not that we've, we're cutting back on our spending, but what's really interesting here 
is the change, is, is how we are spending differently today than we were before. And what I did was I tried to analyze, I tried to sort of compensate for the COVID effect. And so I looked at two two-year periods. I looked at Q2 uh, 2017 to 2019, so that two-year period, and Q2 2019 to 2021. And I compared how disc sales, disc rentals, electronic sales, VOD rentals, and SVOD did in those two periods. And the really interesting thing here is SVOD continued to grow in both periods at almost the same amount, 60%, which is pretty darn good, right? 61, 62%. Disc sales continued to decline, negative 37 in the earlier period and negative 35 in the uh, subsequent period. The biggest swing, though, was seen by electronic sales. And it's really remarkable, Will. It went from plus 10% to minus 3% in the later period. What that tells you is that people are not even buying the digital versions. So I mentioned how, how much disk sales are collapsing. They're not now buying digital versions of those movies. Instead, what they're doing is they're taking the money they were spending there and they're buying SVOD services. Now, why, why does this matter? It matters because what Hollywood is doing with, uh, with movies now is going to accelerate the decline of TVOD and, and movie sales even more. We heard last week that Viacom CBS announced that some of its top movies would appear in Paramount Plus within 30 to 45 days. Yeah. Warner Brothers has shortened its theatrical window to 45 days with HBO Max. So, so the, the, new, the new model now is it comes out of theaters and it goes in at spot. So where is the movie sale there? There'll be even less money now to support... <laughs> It's the smaller right. movies that, right. that, that Matt Damon what, wants to make. Right. What you're talking about, I think, Colin, is what was known as the pay one window. Right. That window, the window where a movie closed in the theater and then it went on to HBO or wherever. Uh, for, actually, first it went into home video. Then it went on to HBO or wherever, you know, for four or five months, give or take. Um, that window's gone and going away. It's that simple. There's yeah, going to be yeah. no pay one window because everybody wants to keep their own movies for themselves and they're going to release them into their SVOD services, as you say, within 30 to 40 to 5 days of, of closing at the theater. I mean, you take this, this Stillwater, okay? Stillwater will probably be closed nationwide after Labor Day. That's all it has left is maybe three weeks. It's a whole run. Then what's going to happen to it? Well, as you say, maybe then they'll try selling some rentals, you know, electronically. They're not going to make a whole lot out of that, but they'll try it. Then where does it go? Is it going to go to Peacock? I mean, Universal already said a few weeks ago that they're creating a window first for their Universal movies in Peacock before they go to Amazon. Is Stillwater going to go first to Peacock, but you'll have to be a subscriber to get it? I mean, I would say that's most likely. But they're not going to pay, what are they going to do? They're not going to pay anything to the Stillwater producers 
to have that on Peacock. I mean, maybe they'll give them a million bucks or some token amount. It's a completely different model. It certainly is. And, you know, funnily enough, um, DEG had a, uh, an event where they actually reviewed those numbers and then they had a couple of folks from the industry to sort of discuss them. And Jim Worthrich, who's, vice pre- who's president of Worldwide Home Entertainment and Games at Warner Brothers, he was there. And I actually asked him this question. So I, I, I asked him, what do you think the impact of studios putting putting movies into their S, straight into their SVOD services will have on you know th- that uh, the, the sales in TVOD and, and, and of discs and he says his first response was the jury is still out about what it does in the lifestyle of individual films life cycle the life, life cycle si- of sorry life cycle yeah. life cycle yeah. of individual films yeah. but he then went on later he said and this I thought was really interesting. He said, back in the day, on a title that was getting purchased, close to 50% of consumers yeah. said yeah. they'd actually seen the film before they actually bought it later on. Yeah. yeah. And the key point for me there was back in the day. Because mm-hmm. back in the day, we didn't have access to a mm-hmm. Nesvod service with a large library at a reasonable cost, right? Now we do. So I just think... The idea, I think he was trying to suggest that people, even though they'd already seen the movie, would still, 50% of them would still buy it. I don't think they will. There's no point in buying it if you have access to it in a library. Now, look, they're going to be smart about this. I'm sure they're going to manage the availability of the movies in the libraries of these right. services. Right. But right now, they're not doing a terribly good job at that. So. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Well, it just it just seems to me like what you were what you were saying, what Damon was saying. Here it is. It's in the numbers. You can see it right there, and you can yep. see you can see that it's not coming back. Yeah, totally agree, Colin. I mean, this this is a great tag team podcast because I'm relaying what Matt Damon is saying, and then you're turning around and putting the exact numbers, the exact evidence to it. So. You know, to me, if I'm the judge of all this, I'm like, okay, this case is over. What, <laughs> what's next on the docket here, folks? Because there's nothing, in a sense, there's nothing left to talk about. I mean, this is, this is the fundamental problem that Hollywood has: is they are in this deep, dark box that they created themselves. They ran away with this DVD thing. It was so profitable. They got themselves spoiled. And they raised the bar for what a movie had to make in order for it to be interesting until the point when the only thing that they could make that would be interesting was superheroes, animation, and kids. And that's now the world that that we live in, where a guy like Matt Damon can make a a movie that's going to lose, pick a number, $15 million, $20 million, but he can afford it. And what else is going to get made? It's going to be, you know whatever that movie the parasite that's international it's going to be something else international something else art house and everything else is going to be you know this other stuff that people like you and i don't necessarily you know care about want to see so i think this is an incredibly challenging time for hollywood and streaming and connected tv and cord cutting and SVOD and AVOD, which we haven't even talked about yet, the role that AVOD is playing in originals, creating originals, all the stuff that Tubi, Roku, IMDb, etc. TV, that they're all doing, muddies the waters even further. It is going to be an incredibly challenging time for the major Hollywood studios. 
Yeah, I I think it will. Will and you know, th- thinking about this, I mean, can you? What was Matt Damon's breakout movie? It was Goodwill Hunting, right? I just his first just, movie, the, his, his first his, big one. Yeah, that was his first breakout movie, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, I just can't see a movie like that being made by Hollywood today. Can right, you? right. It's terrible. It's terrible. And how so good sad. was that movie? It was that movie was movie. off the charts. That movie yeah. was off the charts. To answer your question, and you know that movie did have Robin Williams in it too. It so it did be. have star power. It had a couple of other semi, you know, decent Stellan Starsgard or whatever his name is. Uh, but I mean, yeah, the kids carried that movie. Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and the other two kids. Yeah. And and what's her name? Minnie Driver, who at that time was kind of a, not really a known person yet either. You're absolutely right. Could that movie be made today? Maybe. Maybe one of those per year. But that's it. Nothing more than that. Nobody's yeah. going to take a big risk. Yeah. So I don't know, Colin. This is this is not a happy podcast today. <laughs> it's not. But I I do want to. I guess. I want to be a little bit upbeat here, Will, because one of the things I think I've mentioned this before, one of the things I really love about Netflix and, and uh, to some extent Amazon is that they're making, they are making shows and movies that Hollywood are no longer making anymore. Like, I just can't imagine anybody making something like uh, The Kaminsky Method, for example, which I think is, is a really, really great show or... Yeah. Gracie and Frankie or something like that. So they are making really, really good quality shows. And, you know, they're filling the void. So we can still see them. The thing that we can't have is we can't have the same in theatre with an, with an audience experience that we had before. Maybe, maybe we're just fond of that because we're dinosaurs, Will. Maybe, that, <laughs> maybe that's uh, going to go Colin. anyway. I don't know. But I have to tell you, I'm going to put a little asterisk on what you said about the movies. And I loved Kaminsky. And there are other shows that I really like a lot that are on Netflix and Amazon, Hulu, etc., if you look at the IMDb ratings for these shows that they've released in the past, you know, call it three years, as somebody has pointed out to me, there are not that many shows that have an IMDb rating of 8.0 or above. There are not very many of them. The quality of output from those major SVOD is very inconsistent. And, you know, remember, they're turning out huge volumes of these shows. They, I'll bet you, you and I have not even heard of 80% of the shows that Netflix released in the past year. We probably never even heard of them, much less them getting ratings of 8.0 or higher. We never even heard about them. So there's some funky stuff going on with that world also that I think has yet to be fully, you know, kind of explored and discussed. And maybe that's for us for a subsequent podcast. But I know there are plenty of times too often my wife and I are looking for something to watch on streaming and it's not always evident to us what yeah. to watch. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You guys say, ever get that? Do you guys get that? Um, yeah, we do. We do to some extent. But, um, you know, we're still fine. We're, luckily, there's, there still seems to be more content that we have time to watch and I'm still, okay. I still yeah. have a long list. Like, um, I just finished The Flight Attendant, which I thought was really, really good. On, didn't do on it for HBO, me on HBO Max and we're just that, looping back to the yeah. second series of Lupin on, um, okay. on yep. Netflix so there's still some great great stuff there for us so for uh, what it is I, I couldn't get into Flight Attendant so 
I gave that 15 minutes and I was gone. Lupin, I liked both first and second seasons. I just had dinner with a friend last night. We were talking about Lupin. He said, I love the first season. I could only watch one episode of the second because it was all nonsense for me. So even that, Lupin can't necessarily hold its audience. So it's tough. It's tough out there. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's no question. It's tough out there. There's no question that this is a tough business. And, uh, well, perhaps that's why we're starting to see consolidation, like the Crunchyroll uh, Foundation yes. deal. Uh, that, that yes. They get together and hopefully they boil it down to the good stuff and don't yep. waste their time on the stuff that doesn't really doesn't really matter. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll see some consolidation in these SVOD services going forward. That would, uh, that, that would well, certainly create some buzz on our podcast. That's, but, that's for sure. But you know the old expression, when two turkeys get together, they don't make an eagle, right? <laughs> Just because oh, you put... Also, that's also putting, true, I suppose. Putting AT&T and DirecTV together did not create an eagle. It just it's, created a bigger, fatter didn't. turkey. It certainly didn't. But uh, that makes you wonder about what's going to happen with putting Warner Media and Discover t- Discovery mm. together. Mm. But maybe that's a subject for another podcast. Mm. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put a pin in it on that one, Colin. I think we're exactly at 25 minutes. So yeah. great well, I just had great one more. Qu- Actually, I have one more question for you. Uh, you went to the movie theater. How many people were in there with you? Oh, this is tough. Let me see. I may have to get my calculator out to to calculate. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, there was exactly nobody in the theater with us. Exactly oh nobody. Goodness. It was my wife and me. We plunked ourselves down right in the middle of the theater. We got there five minutes early, seven minutes early, plunked ourselves, big reclining chairs, heated chairs, blah, blah, blah. And we're figuring, okay, over the next five minutes or so, the theater will start filling in. It never did. We sat and watched a private for all intents and purposes, a private screening of Stillwater oh for ten goodness. for $10 each per ticket, <laughs> okay? That space generated $20 of revenue for the theater that night. Now, as I wrote in my Matt Dan, how the hell does that theater stay afloat, especially when the winter comes and they have to heat that building, that gigantic the- yeah. you know, theater building and when it's 19 degrees outside in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. So, all right, I don't mean to bring us down again, but oh my I'm, this is not a happy podcast for me. No, no, no. Enough of the doom and gloom. We'll, <laughs> listeners, we promise we'll pick a happier topic next uh, week. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Colin. I don't know. Anyway, all right, well, good chatting as always, Colin. Uh, good talking to you, Will. Uh, happier and, times. Uh, yeah, it's a, happier, it's a happier times. Thanks, everybody, for listening in on this week's edition of Inside the Stream, and we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.